Right, well, Steve's doing that. It's great to be with you, and uh, it's great to have uh, my friend Steve. So we've been... Do you mind if I just do a bit of housework? Yeah, just... Okay, so we've been in Honiton, my wife and I and our kids, for um, for three years, coming up for three years now, and uh, it, it, we love it. The church is a great church, and uh, uh, Steve and his wife, Dee, uh, lead our community action and we've got lots of different community action uh, kind of ministries and uh, I think the church has a really good reputation in the town and in the area for those things and Steve and Dee uh, head up that work and do a, a brilliant work so it's great to have Steve so if you've got any questions about community action work Steve's your man we um, as I say we have got three children and our eldest so we moved down from Woking three years ago our eldest is still in Woking he's uh, our son and he's married they've got a, a, a daughter uh, just about I should know this two months old uh, I, mean, I announced it to the church in Honiton and I was hoping they would say you don't look old enough to be a grandfather unfortunately nobody did um, and uh, so we've got a son up in Woking I've got a daughter who's at uni in Southampton, and then our youngest son, he's 17, and uh, he's just learning to drive, and, uh, and he wants to go into the Royal Marines. So um, it's, uh, we love the church, as I say, and it's great uh, to be there. It's great to be with you this morning. Okay, if you have a Bible, will you turn to 1 Kings and chapter 19? 1 Kings and chapter 19. And I want to take a brief look at the story of uh, Elisha, and in particular, the, the kind of start of Elisha's ministry uh, as he becomes the, the prophet to the nation of Israel. And there are a number of accounts, I think, in the Bible of where God uh, takes what seem to be very ordinary people and does extraordinary things with them. Uh, shepherds, uh, Elisha himself, he's a farmer. There are midwives. There are obviously in the New Testament, a carpenter and the woman he's engaged to. And, and God takes ordinary people <clears throat> and uses them in extraordinary ways. And I think that's what God wants to do through us, that God wants to use you in ways that you never think he could. Uh, he wants to do remarkable things through you. I think, oh, no, well, not me. I can see, I can see how God would want to do remarkable things through Steve. But remarkable things through me, and I know I believe God wants to do remarkable things through all of us, even though we all, I'm sure, feel very ordinary uh, most of the time. So I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm going to start it in verse uh, 15. I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. So which version you tend to use here? But. 1 Kings 19 and verse 15. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. Just to say, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the names right. I don't think anybody does. But if you do it with confidence, then <laughs> you can get away with it. Okay. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all who, whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and his mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. 
Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And if you turn on just a few pages into 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, this is when we kind of next hear, really, of Elisha. Uh, in verse 5. <clears throat> The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elisha said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets stood out, uh, went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped to the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your presence here among us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you know each one of us. You know how ordinary we feel. And so I pray, God, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us when necessary, encourage us? Well, speak to each one uh, through your word right now, we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see in the story back in, in 1 Kings 19 is that Elisha makes a, de a decisive break with his old life. Here he is living in obscurity, just plowing in the fields, going on with life. And suddenly he gets caught up in God's plan for the nation. Now, to the, to the outsider, as you look at Elisha, He's just a very ordinary guy. No one's heard of him. No one recognizes him. No one thinks, hey, this man's a great leader. No one thinks this, oh, yeah, he's an obvious candidate to be the next prophet. No, he's a very, very ordinary guy who is working in obscurity, and yet God has a plan uh, for his life. Just uh, back to that passage. Clearly, God speaks to Elijah in, in verse um, Verse 15, the Lord spoke to him, you need to, go and do, you need to go and find Elisha because I've got a plan for his life. Perhaps Elisha didn't even know this, but clearly God had a plan for his life. There's no evidence that God's about to call him. There's no evidence in him that, oh, yeah, he's obviously got loads of potential. He's just a farmer out in a field. And yet, actually, God has a plan for him. And perhaps in, in our own lives, perhaps 
people would never have thought, wow, look at what God's done in their life. I think of me, I came to faith when I was 18, and um, my parents had uh, become Christians a few years before. I was really not interested, and I was away at boarding school, so I didn't really have to connect with church or anything. The church we went to was very traditional and very dull. And uh, and I remember joking, I was about 16, and we were all saying, what are we going to do when we leave school and go to college, and what are we going to do? And I'm, I'm going to become a vicar. And I said it because it was the most ridiculous thing, and everyone laughed and thought, yeah, right, that's really going to happen. And obviously now look at me, I'm not quite a vicar, but uh, I do work for a church. And, and God takes ordinary people, even in obscurity, and then brings them into his purposes. And that's what happens with Elisha. And once once he, he encounters this call from God, well, there's no going back. So we read in verse 19 uh, how Elisha, Elijah, to say it clearly, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. The King James calls it a mantle. And this cloak is a sign of his authority. It's a sign of his authority as the prophet of the nation. And by putting it on Elisha's shoulders, he's saying to him right now, my authority is going to one day transfer to you. And Elisha understands that very clearly. He knows exactly what this means. And so he leaves his old life and it says he ran after, <clears throat> he ran after Elijah. And that looks like a very promising start. Straight away, he, he leaves the old life behind, and straight away, he's running after Elijah and after this new life. But then he says, oh, let me just kiss my father and mother goodbye. He wants to go and say goodbye to them. You think, oh, is, is he changing his mind? What, what's going on here? And some people, uh, commentators and things, see this as similar to a passage in Matthew 8 where someone comes to Jesus and they say, yes, I want to follow you. And see, Jesus says, fine, come on and follow me, leave everything. And they're like, well, it's not quite convenient at the moment, but I will, but not, not right now. And Jesus challenges them, says, don't put it off. There's never going to be a more convenient time. Who knows what other opportunities you might get to come after me, so come after me now. And some people think, oh, well, that's what's happening with uh, Elisha. But I'm not sure it is quite the same thing. Clearly, he wants to follow Elijah. Clearly, he wants to <clears throat> follow God's plan for his life. And perhaps when he says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he's like, well, they'd be worried. You know, they, they will... Tea's ready. They, they ring, ring the bell for tea. And where is he? He's just disappeared. Uh, and the, the oxen and the plow are still there. Where's he gone? And so I wonder if he's just honoring uh, his his parents in this. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's good, uh, young people, it's good to, to honor your parents, actually. And I wonder if that's what uh, Elisha is doing. And Elisha, obviously, uh, Elijah does give him permission. So he says, let me go back. Verse 20, go back. Elijah replied. And then he says this strange phrase, what have I done to you? Which sounds very strange, doesn't it? What, what do you mean, what have you done to me? Uh, but I think the message here, the message version is quite helpful. The message says, don't forget <clears throat> what I've just done to you. See, Elijah isn't cross with Elisha. He's just saying, don't forget God's call on your life. Don't forget that I've just anointed you to be prophet of Israel. So, yeah, fine. Go say goodbye to your parents. But don't forget that I've just called you to follow me. Well, Elisha has absolutely no intention uh, of ignoring God's call. And if this running away and uh, leaving his oxen and running after Elijah wasn't decisive enough, then the next bit is very decisive. Elisha left him. He went back, took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. 
he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and he ate and then he ate uh, and then he set out to follow Elijah. If it wasn't decisive before, it's very decisive now. He has left his old life behind. He slaughters the animals and he burns the plow. If, even if he wanted to go back now, there's nothing to go back to. And I wonder if for us, how many of us made such a clear statement when we decided we were going to follow Jesus? How many of us thought, no, I, I am absolutely committed to this? Or do you think, oh, yeah, I quite, I quite like going along to the church and I quite like these, these people. Yeah, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. Actually, no, the call to follow Jesus is decisive. You see, following Jesus isn't, <clears throat> isn't simply about adopting a few ideas and joining a family. It is that in a way, but it's much more than that as well. It is a, a commitment, a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus, a lifelong commitment to, to put the old life behind us. And, and not just the bad stuff, because we have good stuff, many of us, in our, in our past lives as well. But even that, I think, no, no, I'm pressing on after Jesus every day, forgetting what I've done, forgetting fears, forget, forgetting successes. So I'm thinking, no, no, every day I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And Elisha is absolutely decisive. I wonder, are you that decisive? Are you putting the past behind you? Or do you keep going back to old habits or old ways of thinking? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Are you doing that? Are you putting off the old life every day, putting it to death, saying, that I'm, I'm done with that now. I'm following Jesus. So easy to slip back into unhelpful habits, unhelpful friendships, unhelpful things we watch or things we do. You think that's not doing me good. And actually, God wants us to have a decisive break with the past. And that's the first thing we see with Elisha. I'm done with that. I'm no, there's nothing to go back to. You know, he's burnt it all and killed it all. And yet we can hang on to things, letters and pictures and all sorts of things from the past. I think, no. We need to be decisive. So firstly, he makes a decisive break with the past. And the next thing then we see is that God calls him to be Elijah's servant. Elijah's servant. So first he makes a decisive break. Secondly, we see the importance of discipleship. So in 1 Kings 19, it says he sets out to follow Elijah and he becomes his servant. And then in 1 Kings 1 and 2, he is totally committed to serving Elijah. He's totally committed to his friendship. He's, he's loyal. And although God has got plans for him, although God's got a purpose for Elisha, actually he is very happy to just be in Elijah's shadow and learn from him. I'm happy to, to spend this time being a disciple. He's not, he's not like, I'm here, step aside, I, am, I have arrived. He's not like that at all. He is very happy to stick with him right to the end. And in fact, there were numerous opportunities and invitations for him to leave Elijah. But he's like, no, I am sticking with you. And so in verse two, we read, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So they went to Bethel. And Elijah said, verse four, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. So they went to Jericho. Verse six, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. So the two of them walked on and the two of them <coughs> crossed the river. And as they were walking and talking together, 
Elijah was taken again and again throughout this passage. Elisha says, I'm, I'm with you all the way. He's, he's his servant. He's supporting him. And Elisha knows one day my day will come. But in the meantime, he's happy to serve. He's happy to learn. And discipleship is such an important thing for us to learn for ourselves and to learn as churches to, to equip other people and to train other people. And Elisha said, yeah, I've got a call to leadership, but actually he's happy to be a disciple. If you add up, if you add up the, the dates of the king's reigns well, uh, through the one or two kings of how long <coughs> Elisha was Elijah's servant, it adds up to about 15 years, about 15 years. This is not like, like you know, you go on a week's course on prophetic ministry and you're done. Or here's a book, Prophetic Ministry for Dummies. Read this, you'll be sorted. It's like 15 years as a servant, 15 years just learning day after day. Jesus spent 30 years learning and growing. He become his, you know, I'm, I'm 13, I'm 50, I'm ready to go. He was 30. People can be very ambitious I need time to grow and to learn. The Apostle Paul spent years in obscurity <coughs> in Arabia before he began his ministry. Discipleship takes time because it's not, just, it's not just reading books and learning information, although that's good, but actually it's about getting people's hearts and it's about gaining values. And so discipleship takes a lot of time. I remember so I came to faith when I was 18, and uh, soon after that, uh, my first pastor, a guy called Arnold, uh, spent a lot of time with me, and I just met with him week after week after week. And he challenged me, and he taught me, and we chatted a lot, and he would confront me on a few things. And, and actually, I, was, I, I picked up his heart over quite a long time. Discipleship takes time. And so when you then start reading the story of Elisha, it's like, oh, there's echoes here of what God did through Elijah. Well, of course there are, because he learned from him. He'd picked up the same courage. He'd picked up the same passion for God's glory. He'd picked up the same hostility towards sin. And so not surprisingly then, <clears throat> he'd learned the importance of being a disciple. I wonder, have you done that? Are you a good disciple? Are you teachable? Oh, I've been a Christian a long time. Yeah, but are you still teachable? Are you, if you have been a Christian for a long time, are you encouraging others who haven't been a Christian that long and investing in other people? That's how it's supposed to work. I, I can say <clears throat> I've, over years of now being in leadership, there are some people who they become Christians and they seem to grow very, very quickly because they put effort into Bible study and they, they are diligent in prayer. And I've known others who you think, yeah, they've been going to church for years and they're still pretty immature. That's not good. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, let your progress be evident to everybody. Is your progress evident? Or have you just plateaued? I've been a Christian for years, still go to church. No, no we, we're learners. We're, we, we're here to be discipled. The importance of discipleship is so important. Not just as your, for yourself. Are you learning and are you growing? But also, are you investing in other people? And again, that takes time. We want to be those who, who raise disciples, not just attendees, not just churchgoers. We want to raise disciples, people who, who know what it is to follow Jesus. Think, no, no, I, I'm committed to following him, whatever it takes. And that takes time. It takes relationship and those kind of things. 
So Elisha, firstly then, <coughs> very decisive. Secondly, <coughs> he knows what it is to be a disciple. He spent years just learning from Elijah. Then we see that Elijah is taken. And just before he's taken, there's this interesting request. What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. So firstly, he makes a decisive break with the past. Secondly, he's committed to learning, committed to, to growing and being a disciple. Thirdly, he wants a double portion. Having said that, that we want to be good disciples, we want to be good followers, that doesn't mean that actually we should just simply settle for maintaining what other people have done. Oh, well, this is what they did. I just want to be like you. I just want to keep things the way you kept them. No, no. Actually, Elisha says, I, I want, I doesn't say I want to be like you, <clears throat> although he is like him. He actually says, I want a, a, a double portion. I want to be, I want twice as much as what you've seen. I want a double portion. I want to be, now ambition isn't a bad thing. Ambition isn't a bad thing if you are ambitious for the right things. So the Apostle Paul quite often in the New Testament addresses those who preach out of, quote, selfish ambition. They, <clears throat> they want to get noticed. Look at me. Look how important I am. Look how clever I am. They want to get noticed for themselves. So their, their leadership is about them and them having a platform for their opinions. In uh, <clears throat> 3 John 1 and verse 9, the Apostle John speaks about Diotrephes, who loves to be first. I think selfish ambition in the church is an ugly thing. Actually, I think selfish ambition, wherever you are, is an ugly thing. I don't know if anyone enjoys The Apprentice. Um, I used to watch The Apprentice, but I got very bored with it because they're just most, most of them, not all of them, most of them are so ambitious. They're very happy to stab each other in the back. I think it's boring. It's just not, that's not how life needs to be. Certainly, I don't think you need to be like that to be successful in business. And I think, actually, it's, it's an ugly thing to be that ambitious that you're happy to, to tread over people to get there. And there are people sometimes like that in the world, and there are sometimes, sadly, people like that in the church. But actually, ambition itself is not a bad thing as long as you're ambitious for the right things. The Apostle Paul says, Romans 15, 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That's a good ambition, to preach the gospel to people who've never heard about Jesus. That's a, that's a good ambition. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So if you desire to be in some form of church leadership, that's, that's a good ambition. It's not a bad ambition. So the question is not whether we're ambitious or not. The question is, are we ambitious for the right things? And Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I, I think it means, personally, I think it means more than the Holy Spirit. Although, obviously, Elijah's does, success does come from his anointing by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's more than that. I think he says he, he wants to see twice as much as, uh, as Elijah saw. And uh, one commentator wrote this. <clears throat> this request is not from a spirit of vanity and ambition to be greater than his master, but from an eagerness to promote the glory of God and the interest of religion. 
to reclaim the Israelites from their idolatry and establish the true religion, which he might observe Elijah <clears throat> was not able to do with the measure of grace and the gifts that he had. Obviously, you need, I think, greater character and greater humility to handle greater gifting. But Elisha wants to be more successful than Elijah, not out of pride, but because actually he has a heart for God's glory and a heart for the nation. And he realizes that Elijah did a good thing, but there's a much greater work to be done. And so he's like, no, I want a double portion. And uh, just a small but interesting point uh, about Elijah. If you read through the story of Elijah, Elijah did seven miracles. And um, <coughs> excuse me, Elijah did seven miracles. And in his lifetime, <coughs> uh, Elijah did 13, which if you're a mathematician, Obviously, you realize isn't quite double. And, uh, but then in 2 Kings, uh, verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 21, <clears throat> verse 20, Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. And once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elijah, Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood on his feet. The 14th miracle. Oh, yeah, have that for free. <clears throat> so we should never settle for simply seeing what the previous generation saw. I think back to, to people like Terry Virgo and some of the amazing changes you, they saw in, in, in their lifetime in the church. And yet we shouldn't think, oh, yeah, we, we just want to build on what they've done and, and just maintain it all. No, no, I, I want to have this kind of a spirit. I want to see twice as much. If you look at the, the mess that our nation is in, God, I don't want to settle for simply maintaining things as they are. Do you? We, we want to, no, we want much more. We want to see lots more people saved and lots more churches planted and so on. Not for our reputation or anything like that, but for God's glory in our nation. I don't want to settle for simply how things are. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me <clears throat> will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. You believe that? Even greater things. The song, is that a Chris Tomlin song? Um, You're the God of this city. Greater things are yet to be done. You believe that? Or I think, I'm just happy with how things are. I would say pray big prayers. Pray big prayers for yourself. Pray big prayers for the church. Surely the best days of the church in our country are not behind them. Surely for this church, the, your best days are not behind you, but ahead of you. And so we want a double portion. And if you think back into the pioneers of history, they saw amazing things because they didn't settle for how things were. They wanted a double portion. In uh, 1789, <clears throat> William Wilberforce stood before the British Parliament and he yearned for a day when slaves would no longer be bought and sold like farm animals. Decades later, slavery was abolished. In 1700s, William Carey wept over maps where there were nations of unreached people and he determined to start a worldwide missionary organization with this phrase, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Last year, <clears throat> it was estimated, estimated there are over 30,000 Christian missionaries around the world. In the late 1800s, the Wright brothers said, we believe that people will someday fly through the sky. 
and he wasn't talking about human cannonballs. Obviously, he was talking about aeroplanes. And with 10 years later, the Kitty Hawk took off from the uh, North Carolina beach. Uh, in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell said this. This is, this is genius. I foresee a day when there will be a telephone in every village. <laughs> Who'd have thought, eh? <clears throat> in the 1940s, Billy Graham and a group of college friends gathered together and they dreamed of filling athletic stadiums uh, around the world and then presenting the gospel to them. And obviously, sadly, Billy Graham died uh, not so long ago, but over the past 60 years, millions and millions of people have heard the gospel. And I think the figure of how many have actually been saved through his ministry is about 4 million people. Remarkable. He had a dream and he thought, come on, I don't want to settle for how things are. I want a double portion. And Elisha wanted more. Let me encourage you, be a people who want more. Be a people who don't just settle. You want more for yourself and you want more for your church and more for your town and more for the nation and more for the world than how it is now. We don't just want to settle. We want more leaders raised up. We want more people sent on mission. We want more people saved and added. We want to see more people healed. We want more and more and more from God. And that's where Elisha is. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Then finally, um, <clears throat> we see Elijah, Elijah gets taken. Uh, he gets taken up in a whirlwind, not in a chariot of fire, as many seem to think, but he went up in this whirlwind. And Elisha cries out, uh, my father, my father. And then straight after that, Elisha's faith is tested. So he makes a decisive break with the past. He's committed to discipleship. He's, he wants a double portion. And then fourthly and finally, he has to take a personal step of faith. His faith is tested because he's on the wrong side of the Jordan. And now he's going to have to cross the Jordan. So we pick it up in, in uh, verse 7. 50 men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and the left and the two of them cross over on dry ground. Then Elijah is taken. So now what's Elisha going to do? Verse 13, Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak that had fallen. He went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the God of Elijah? Elijah does the same thing. It can feel like almost an uncertain prayer, can't it? Where now is the God of Elijah? But I think, I think what he's saying is, <clears throat> Lord, are you with me like you are with Elijah? Are you with me like you're with them? Are you going to answer my prayers in the way you answered their prayers? Or are you just, are you with me? That's the question I think he's asking. And he's, he's like, okay, I'm going to take my own step of faith and see, is God with me like he's with them and like he's with them, like he's with Elijah? And that's true for each one of us, isn't it? No one can believe on your behalf. No one can take a step of faith on your behalf. In the end, you need to make your own choice. You need to make your own choice about following Jesus. No one can do that for you. Your leaders can't. Your parents can't. And having made a decision to follow Jesus, then actually we need to continue to take our own personal steps of faith. Are you taking steps of faith in your life? Again, or have you 
settled. You see, Elisha starts his ministry with a step of faith, but then if you read the whole story through, there's step after step of faith after step after faith, and it goes on. In chapter four, he miraculously provides for a widow. He raises a dead boy to life. He multiplies food, so uh, loaves, so there's food left over. He brings healing to Naaman and his leprosy, and so the story goes on. He's seen Elijah do those things. He's seen Elijah prove God. Oh, God, you, you were with him. Are you going to be with me now as I pray? It's so easy to slip back into a way of life where actually we don't really need God. There's a, a passage, I think it's in Hosea, where it says that God provided the, his people all that they needed. And so they forgot him. Isn't that what a challenge, especially to us in the West? where we have so much, and we don't need God every day. We don't feel we do anyway. Actually, we should live in a place where, where we're walking by faith and not by sight. And so we need God. We need God to step in. We're stepping out, speaking to people or praying for people, or we're giving so that, so that God needs to provide us with finance. Or we're, All the time we're stepping out so that we can see God providing in miraculous ways. And Elisha, right at the beginning, he said, well, this is how it is. It starts with a step of faith. I need to step out with my own faith. I think for myself, it's so easy to live within your own comfort zone, isn't it? So easy to live within your own comfort zone where actually, do I need God to step in? Faith pushes you out of your comfort zone. So that we need God to step in. God wants all of us to be taking our own steps of faith. God wants us to always be praying, God, where are you leading me next? If I pray for this, is God going to answer? And we can look at other people that God answers their prayers. Is God going to answer my prayers? And perhaps you've, you've been praying for something and it hasn't happened. And perhaps today God's saying to you, come on, it's time to get back to praying about that. It's time to get back to praying for your children. It's time to get praying, to praying again for your work, Colin. There's not much going on. Don't give up in prayer. God does answer prayer. He doesn't answer all your prayers. I guess that's the nature of being in a relationship with someone, isn't it? You don't get everything you want, but at the same time, God does answer many of our prayers. My experience is the more I pray, the more I see God doing stuff. That's not so every prayer, but the more I pray, the more God does do it. Elisha, see, God, God you, you, I saw you stepping in with Elijah. Are you going to step in with me? <clears throat> and obviously, in front of an audience, this company of prophets, where he strikes the water, it divides to the right and the left, and he crosses over. And of course, God does answer his prayer. God wants each one of us to be taping, taking fresh steps of faith, where we need God to step in. So what we see then is a decisive break with the old life. Would you say you've done that? I've made a decisive break. I'm not going to go back to those things anymore. I've made a decisive break. As I say, that may not be bad things. Maybe also are good things too. The Apostle Paul, when he said, um, I, I press on to take hold of that, for which you know, I forget the former things and pressing on. But he, he, he had loads of good stuff in his. He planted churches and preached the gospel. It wasn't all bad. I mean, it was bad. It wasn't all bad. But he's like, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not, just looking back all the time to the past, I'm saying, God, what do you want to do with me today? So he made a decisive break with his old life. He saw the importance of discipleship. He was committed to learning. You committed to learning? 
Is your progress evident to others? What would other people say about, oh, yeah, they're, they're, even though they're older, they're continuing to make progress. I think there's a, a couple in our church, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Peter, this guy, he used to be in the Methodist church, and he preached in the Methodist church. And uh, just month by month, he just continues to grow, doesn't he? You can see. It. I mean, he's, he's, he's in his late 60s, I guess. And he's, he's still saying, I want to learn from God. I want to I know more of God's Holy Spirit in me. And, and it's just a joy to see. He's, he, he's an older guy, but his progress is evident. Is your progress evident? Let's be those who commit ourselves to discipleship for, for ourselves and also for others, investing in others. Then we see how Elisha wants a double portion. He's not settling. He said, God, I want more of you, and I want more of your miracles and more of your power at work, more of your glory. Let's be those kind of people, double portion. And let's be those who take personal steps of faith not step of faith god is calling you to make a step of faith of courage that says i'm going to speak to that person at work i'm going to speak to that person at college about my faith is it giving something god i don't know how i'm going to survive if i give that praying for the sick someone says oh i'm unwell oh i'm sorry to hear that or are you going to step out in faith i'm going to pray if i don't god if you don't turn up i'm going to look an idiot Want to step out in faith. Decisive break with the old life. Importance of discipleship. Let's go for a double portion and let's be those who take personal steps of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Can I ask you to stand? <clears throat> let's just close our eyes for a second. And hopefully God's spoken to you about something. Maybe... It's something in your past that you think, I need to move on from that. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has begun. Praise God. The old has gone. So we shouldn't return to those things. But no, I'm putting off the old life, putting off old attitudes, putting off old habits. Lots of things that you think actually... I haven't been decisive with that because there's time. It's time to make a decision about that. Enough of that. Enough of that compromise in your life. And then we want to grow as disciples. So we commit ourselves to learning, commit ourselves to reading the Bible, commit ourselves to prayer, commit ourselves to paying attention during a sermon. We commit ourselves to growing. Perhaps God wants to just give you a fresh faith for a double portion perhaps there's things that you think oh i've stopped praying for that stop praying for that because come on it's time for a fresh a fresh step of faith god wants to do much more much more father we we thank you for your grace towards us that you take ordinary people and you want to do extraordinary things through us God, who are we that you would use us? Who are we that you do miracles through us? <clears throat> and yet we say we want to make ourselves available to you to be used by you. We say, God, do remarkable things through us, ordinary though we are. Would you use us? Would you use us to bring the gospel to people? Would you use us to bring glory to your name? Would you use us to bring healing? Pray for this church that this building would soon become filled and overflowing 
and would give them a, a, a problem of growth, a problem of what to do next, because you give them a double portion. That's what we pray for, Lord, a double portion, not just settling for what's gone before. Give them a double portion. Give us that spirit in our hearts, Lord, of not settling, wanting more from you, that we'll step out in faith, see you answering, answering ambitious prayers, answering big prayers. God, we pray. Glorify your name through us, through this church in this town, we 